If you want to open your Bible, don't open it to Ruth. Oh, some of you have already done it. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, don't open to Ruth yet. Go to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew 13. Um, I know that says Ruth, and there's a reason for that. It's because today is our last week in Matthew before we jump away for a little bit. Uh, so we are going to be in Matthew 13. We're going to pick up at verse 24 today. Um, and next week, next week we're going to do something a little bit different, and we're going to go to Ruth. And I just wanted to introduce you. Some of you all like to know where we're going to be, because um, some of you like to read ahead, and you like to be prepared for whenever you get together. So I wanted to let you know. We're going to do something crazy, and we're going to take our breath for a minute. We're going to step away from Matthew. We're going to get out of the car, stretch our legs out. So that way, here in a few weeks, we can come back to Matthew, and we can keep on trucking. So um, next week, we're going to jump away. We're going to look at Ruth, and I know I say this about every series that we do, but I'm excited for Ruth. Um, for those of you who are familiar with Ruth, what an awesome picture of redemption. Um, so I'm looking forward to our time together in Ruth. Um, and if you want to be prepared, that's where we're going to be over the next few weeks. But today, today we get to look at our last week of this opposition that begins to rise against Jesus here in Matthew chapter 13. Um, and today's going to be a little bit different. I say that every week. It's not going to be that much different. Y'all I might not be telling the to- like full truth. It's going to be pretty much the same thing. Um, but, but today we're going to look at this funny this funny thing called, uh, y'all familiar with the term chiism? If you've ever heard of the term chiism, or maybe you've heard chiism, um, raise your hand. Oh, good, a couple of you. Good, good. Okay, now I'm going to say chiism um, or, or key because that's the way I learned it, but, and maybe that'll make more sense here later on. Some people say chi or chiism, uh, whatever. I, I'm going to say chiism, so if you want to know what I'm talking about, that's what I'm talking about. Now, most of you probably don't really care about literary structures, but I'm going to tell you about them anyway because I thought this was interesting. Okay, so what chiism is, is it's a literary device. It's a literary device that presents a set of ideas and then repeats that set of ideas in reverse order. Okay, so if you are looking at the structure of, uh, of, uh, of something that's written with this chiistic structure, if you were looking at it, it would look kind of like this, okay, where we would have A, idea A, idea B, idea C, and then it's going to repeat similar ideas in reverse order. So you have C prime, B prime, A prime, okay, so you see how that works, right? You, you get the idea, see how it goes A, B, C, C, B, A, okay, y'all tracking with that? All right, somebody's going to get bingo here. You all awake? Yeah. All right, good, good. Okay, now, what this should look like, if you're looking, okay, you see how it kind of moves out and then back in? Okay, so it looks like half of an X, right? So if we were to just fill this out and we went the other direction back and forth also, we would have an X. You see how that would, you see what that would look like? And that's why it's called, huh, good, now I got some, some heads nodding, good. Okay, that's, that's why it's called chiistic structure. So the letter key in Greek, it looks like an X, Okay, which is why this is called a chiistic structure. Now, why do you all care about that? Well, because if we're looking at something with this structure, the main thrust of it is where everything converges. It's at the middle of that X. So it would be that C and C prime. All right, that would be the main thrust of what we're looking at, which is very different from what we, lo- what we think of whenever we think about writing. Um, if some of you are out of school, so far out of school, you're just like, I don't care anymore. But if you were going to go write a paper or to read a paper, the main, the main thrust would be at the beginning of the paper, right? You want to have your, uh, what, what's the word I'm looking for? Thesis. My goodness, I went blank on the word thesis. Come on, Jared. You would have your thesis statement there close to the beginning, right? You want to let people know what you're writing about. What is the main point of what you're talking about? So you'd have your thesis statement close to the beginning, 
See, whenever you have this chiastic structure, it's a little bit different. The main thrust is in the middle of the passage. Now, again, why does all of this matter? Well, I believe that today's text, I think Matthew utilizes this chiastic structure. I think we find the main thrust of what he's talking about right in the middle of what we're talking about rather than at the beginning or the end. So, today... What we're going to see is that the main thrust, the middle of this structure, what we're going to find is the disciples' understanding. I think that's the main point. The disciples' understanding is the main thrust of this. And I believe that Jesus is showing us and his disciples what we need to know if, if we are of the kingdom living in this world. Now, we could talk a lot about how we are, we are citizens here. Most of us, I think, are U.S. citizens. Anybody not a U.S. citizen? That would be really cool. Um, Okay, I figured we were probably all U.S. citizens. Okay, so if we're all U.S. citizens, we get it. We're, like, we're citizens here, but we're not really. Like, ultimately, our citizenship belongs to the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. That's where our ultimate, that's where our citizenship really belongs. It's with Christ. But we live in this world. We live here and now. So how do we live? How do we move? How do we, how do, we do this thing? And I think that's what we get here. Jesus is showing his disciples what they need to know of the kingdom in this world. And that's what I want to show you today as we study God's word. I want to show you these principles that Matthew gives us for how to belong to the kingdom of heaven even while we are still in this world. And just so you know, the reason this is a part of this series we're calling Opposition Rising is we're going to see the opposition rise against Jesus as he lives as a citizen of the kingdom, as the king of the kingdom, but he's living in this world. There will be opposition. So, what I would like to do is I'd like to stand and read God's word together. So, would you all stand out of respect for reading God's word? And just so you all know, this is a long section. This is a lot of text. So, I'm going to be reading a while. Follow along. All right. Matthew chapter 13, beginning in verse 24. I'm reading from the Christian Standard Bible. It says, He presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while people were sleeping, his enemy came, sowed seeds among the wheat, and left. When the plants sprouted and produced grain, then the weeds also appeared. The landowner's servants came to him and said, Master, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Then where did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he told them. So do you want us to go... Go and pull them up, the servants asked him. No, he said, when you pull up the weeds, you might also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At harvest time, I'll tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and tie them in, tie them in bundles to burn them, but collect the wheat in my barn. He also presented another parable to them. The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when grown, it's taller than, all, than the garden plants and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. He told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and mixed into 50 pounds of flour until all of it was leavened. Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables, and he did not tell them anything without a parable, so that what was spoken through the prophet might be fulfilled. I will open my mouth in parables. I will declare things kept secret from the foundation of the world. Then he left the crowds and went into the house. His disciples approached him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He replied, The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. The field is the world, and the good seed, these are the children of the kingdom. The weeds are the children of the evil one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. 
The harvest is the end of the age, and the harvesters are angels. Therefore, just as the weeds are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send out His angels, and they will gather from His kingdom all who cause sin and those guilty of lawlessness. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the Father's kingdom. Let anyone who has ears listen. The kingdom of heaven is like treasure buried in a field that a man found and reburied. Then, in his joy, he goes and sells everything he has and buys that field. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. When he found one priceless pearl, he went and sold everything he had and bought it. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a large net thrown into the sea. It collected every kind of fish, and when it was full, they dragged it ashore, sat down, and gathered the good fish into containers, but threw, the worthless one, or threw out the worthless ones. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will go out, separate the evil people from the righteous, and throw them into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Have you understood all these things? They answered him, Yes. Therefore, he said to them, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like the owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom treasures new and old. When Jesus had finished these parables, he left there. He went to his hometown and began to teach them in their synagogue so that they were astonished and said, where did this man get this wisdom and these miraculous powers? Isn't this the carpenter's son? Isn't his mother called Mary and his brothers James, Joseph, Simon, and Judas? And his sisters, aren't they all with us? So where does he get all these things? And they were offended by him. Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his hometown and in his household. And he did not do many miracles there because of their unbelief. Thank God for his word. You may be seated. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, uh, I'm thankful for this word today. Um, I'm thankful for what you teach us, Lord, and I'm thankful that you didn't just leave us guessing at who you are or what's coming in the future or how to live. Lord, instead, you've revealed yourself to us and you've shown us who you are, you've shown us what we are, and you've shown us how to respond to you. Um, So, Father, for that, I, I praise you. And I just pray that today you would send your spirit, that you would guide us into your truth, and that you would teach us today. Um, so Lord, help us as we, as we enter this time, as we study this word. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so how do we live in this world as citizens of the kingdom? Okay, all right, four principles for those who belong to the kingdom of heaven in this world. Okay, in this world, first, we must recognize kingdom counterfeits. We must recognize kingdom counterfeits. Now, I've talked about this several times over the last few weeks, so I'll try not to harp on this too long. Whenever we talk about Bible study, any type of Bible study, what we're talking about is is actually opening the Word, and then we want to understand the Word. So what we have to do is first we open it, we observe. We just look to see what the text says, and we practiced that here a few weeks ago, and then a little bit last week as we, we got out our pens and we actually marked up the text and just said, okay, what do we see here in this passage? But the next step then is interpretation. Okay, so then what does this really mean? Like, what is the author trying to convey? What is he trying to teach us? And then we'll get to the application, okay? But we're not to application yet. First, we're going to ask, what does this mean? Okay, and that's what we're going to work on right now. We're asking, what is Matthew or what is Jesus trying to communicate to the audience that he's speaking to? What is he really trying to communicate? 
That's our first goal, and that's different from application. Okay, just so you know, one application of this text, I believe, is that we need to, be a, we need to recognize kingdom counterfeits, that there will be counterfeits, okay? So we need to recognize those. That's just one application, but we'll get to that in a minute. First, we need to understand. We need to interpret, okay? So we get to this passage here, and there's this, this parable, this known as the parable of the wheat and the tares, right? And it's found in verses 24 to 30. And then Jesus gives the explanation in verses 37 to 43. And what I'm going to do here is I'm going to kind of jump back and forth between the giving of the parable and the interpretation of the parable so that hopefully we can try to make some sense out of it, okay? So Jesus here says that the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. And in his explanation of this parable, he says that the son of man, Jesus says, me, the son of man, he is the sower. And the good seed, these are children of the kingdom, we find in verse 38. And the field is the world. So what Jesus is saying is, I've come here and I've put believers, like there are people who trust me in the world. He says, I've sowed good seed. There are people who are my children, children of the kingdom here in this world. Jesus says, I place my people here. But then he goes to bed, and just so that we're clear, Jesus isn't saying that he was somehow negligent. Jesus is just progressing the story here. Um, So he goes to bed, and an enemy, who we find is the devil, he comes and he sows weeds that are identified as children of the evil one. So these children of the evil one are sown out here among the wheat. Okay? They're out here among the wheat. Now, who are these children of the evil one? Literally, what this, this word children of, or, or in the original language, it's actually sons of. These sons of the evil one, these are, this is someone who reflects the evil one. Okay, that's, that's what this is trying to indicate. Like, like, it's somebody who has the characteristics of, in this particular case, the evil one. And that means that these are those who reflect the character of Satan. In other words, these are not children of God. These are not children of the kingdom. It's something different. So, he says, good seed sown, bad seed sown, and the plants come up. And at first, it's not terribly obvious, but as, as we get a little further into the story, it becomes increasingly obvious that there are, in fact, weeds mixed in with the wheat. Now, here's this, this fun picture of, of, this, of this grass. Y'all, y'all ever seen anything that looks like this before? All right, who can tell me which one's wheat? Anybody? All right, if, if you think... It, that one's the wheat point that way. If you think that one's the wheat point that way. Oh, good. Most of you can tell. Well, good. Good. See, it became increasingly obvious. See, what this one on the, my right, your left, what this one is over here, this is a grass called bearded Darnell. Yeah, bearded Darnell. I've never met a guy who was bearded who was named Darnell. That's a bad joke. Um, but anyway, um, bearded Darnell is a weedy annual grass. I could give you the Latin name, but I can't pronounce it. Uh, but it has very long awns in the, uh, on the glooms and seeds sometimes considered poisonous. But initially, it looks like wheat. At first, it looks just like the wheat. Whenever they're small, um, infant plants, they look like wheat. But as they grow, the wheat grows fuller heads. And the wheat, as it gets closer to harvest, it begins to droop while the bearded Darnell stays upright. Um, I, I kept reading this interesting term about what wheat does as it gets taller. Somebody kept saying it bows. Now, there's a whole illustration in there about the difference between the weeds and the wheat that I don't have time to get into because I don't think that's Jesus' main point. But we see the wheat bowing while the weeds stay upright. There's a whole thing there. Anyway, so it becomes increasingly obvious as it gets further. And you can see. I mean, you can see the difference, right? I hope you can tell the difference between the wheat and the weeds. All right? So... 
A lot of scholars, just so you know, the reason I put the beard of Darnell is uh, a lot of scholars actually believe that this would be the weed that Jesus was referring to, this beard of Darnell. And I think we have good reason. We'll get into that here in just a minute. But what we find is that the servants, the servants come and they ask where the weeds came from. Now, if I was the sower, this would make me angry. Um, maybe because I have a short fuse. Maybe it's just because, well, I'm not as good as Jesus. And everyone agrees with that. Um, but these servants come and say, didn't you sow good seed? Like, like, master, how stupid are you? Did you sow weeds in your field? Like, I would be upset by that. But being patient, the owner, he says, no, it was an enemy. An enemy came and sowed weeds. And he knew. He knew. So the servants, they do what they should do. And they say, do you want us to go take care of this weed problem? You want us to go pull them up? And Jesus says, no. Because there's a problem, Right? If these servants are to go out and pull up the weeds, they would pull up the wheat also. See, that bearded Darnell, uh, the roots have a tendency to intertwine with the surrounding plants. So if it is, in fact, this bearded Darnell, the roots are all intertwined. So you go pull the weeds up, you're going to pull out the good stuff too. All right? So he says, no, 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 don't do that. Because the master's smarter than that. He says, don't do that because you're going to ruin the good also. Instead, he says, wait until the harvest. Wait until the harvest. And at that point, we find this is the end of the age. Uh, Jesus says that's what the harvest is, the end of the age. And at that point, Jesus sends out his harvesters, who he identifies as the angels, to gather, in verse 41 it says, all who cause sin and those guilty of lawlessness. Now, he says, I'm going to gather those who don't belong first. I'm going to gather them first. And that they will be thrown into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Um, real quick, I, I just want to I just want to touch on this. Okay, so I'm not a big fan of of I'm going to use a term here, and some of you are going to bristle at this a little bit, or bristle is what I said last week. Um, some of you are going to bristle a little bit, but I'm not a big fan of trying to scare the hell out of people, like literally, like hell out of people. Like I'm not a big fan of that. Um, but at the same time, I had somebody tell me a while back, I'm, I'm glad that you're not afraid to talk about hell. And why would I be afraid of talking about hell? Did you not hear what Jesus just did? He did that very thing. And I sometimes think we read passages like this and we are completely complacent. But Jesus just said that those children of the evil one, they will be gathered up and they will be thrown into the blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Look, I don't even know what gnashing of teeth is, but I know it's not good. And just the thought of that sounds terrible. Yeah, don't, don't chomp at me. <laughs> Weeping and gnashing of teeth. But sometimes I think we miss this because we just read, okay, yeah, so there's a bad place that those, those people who belong to Satan are going to go. Good. Do you guys realize that these are those people who, the only difference between them and us is that Jesus saved us? Um. If we stop and think for just a minute and stop making this so impersonal, uh, impersonable, like we think, okay, so there are people who are going to be thrown into hell. No, what we don't understand is there are people, there are loved ones, there are friends and family members who are just down the road from us who may be our next door neighbors who at some point are going to die and they're going to face the judgment and they are going to spend eternity separated from God in a place called hell where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. You all realize that? Like, do we really think about that? Um, I remember whenever I kind of woke up to that fact, like I always knew that was true, like at some level, intellectually I knew that was true, but I remember whenever I actually woke up to that reality, 
that there were people who I knew and I loved who were going to spend eternity in the blazing furnace in hell. And it brought me to tears. You know, to think that there are loved ones, people who we actually do, we care about, who will be separated from God for all eternity in a place where they, there's a blazing furnace and weeping and gnashing of teeth. Look, I don't know exactly what hell looks like, but I know it's bad. Um, the question then is, do we really care? Like, do we, do we really, or do we really believe it? Like, that's the first question, I guess. Do we really believe it? And if we believe it, then do we care? Because if we care, we'll do something about it. Like, no, we can't save people, but we can sure tell them about the one who can save them from this place. Do we really care? So he says that that's what's going to happen first. That those who are children of the evil one, they'll be separated, thrown into this blazing furnace where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. But then verse 43, the righteous who are identified as the good seed, they will shine like the sun in the Father's kingdom. And the point Jesus is making is that there's going to come a day of judgment when those seeds, when those seeds of his will be separated from the seeds of the enemy. They will be separated. There will come a day of judgment. And I love that Jesus doesn't put a third option. Y'all catch that? You're either a good seed or you're not. It's one or the other. But then we get this other similar parable, which brings us to our chiastic structure here, and we switch the comparison a little bit. So if you jump over to verse 47, we get this parable of the net. And again, he says, the kingdom of heaven is like a large net thrown into the sea. It collected every kind of fish. Then it was dragged ashore, and the angels, they come and they sort through the fish, separate the good fish from the bad fish, and the bad are told again that they're going to be thrown into this blazing furnace where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And again, this one makes a very similar point, doesn't it? Like the parable of, of the wheat and the tares and the parable of the net, they make a pretty compa- comparable, comparable uh, image, right? Make a pretty similar point. Okay, and this one's pretty simple. simple. There will come an end of age, an end of the age, when all people will be judged and brought to Jesus or separated from him. There's going to come an end of age. Now, this is... If we're actually talking about what does this mean, this is different from the application. I told you that. What does this mean? I think what this means is that we need to recognize this fun theological term, uh, eschatology. Um, If you all are familiar with the word eschatology, fantastic. If you're not and you're checking out on me now, stop it. Um, it, It's okay. Like eschatology is just a study of of the last things. That's what eschatology is. And the Bible has a lot to say about eschatology, the last things. And now, just so that we're clear, even if you don't believe the Bible, so let's just say you're listening to me right now and you're like, okay, but do I really need to know about this last thing stuff? Just so you know, even secular people, like even most scientists will agree, yeah, there's going to be an end of an age. Like there's going to be a time when our sun will stop. Like it will cease. Like just so you all know, our sun is not eternal. Eventually it will burn out. Like everything's going to end at some point. Now, I'm not trying to be doom and gloom and be like, the world's going to stop. I'm not that guy. But what I am going to say is that there will be an end of the age. And everyone knows that. I just happen to believe that Jesus told us about it. Okay? And Jesus tells us about these last things. And he says, look, at the end of this age, when this end of the age comes, all people will be judged. The good will be separated from the bad. And the determining factor is this. Are you a child of the kingdom or are you a child of the evil one? That's the determining factor about where you wind up at the end of the age. So the question then is, who do you belong to and who do you resemble? Do you resemble the king of the kingdom or the evil one? 
who do you fall? Who do you belong to? Now, the reason I say one way that we can apply this is by recognizing kingdom counterfeits is because of this. Notice that, it, at least it initially, the wheat and the tares, they looked an awful lot alike. They looked a lot alike. And just so you all know, I'm not a great fisherman, so whenever I see a fish, I see a fish. I don't see that kind of fish or this kind of fish. I see a fish. All right? And you all are going to laugh at me. Whatever. I don't care. Um, I see a fish. All right? God knows which is which. And what we need to do is we need to be able to learn to identify the real thing from the fake. That way, we don't allow the fake to penetrate in, in too far and actually cause damage as they begin to intertwine around our roots. We need to be cautious and recognize kingdom counterfeits. But the point that Jesus is making here is that all will be judged. And there will be a separation of the good and the bad. And the determining factor is, are you belonging to Jesus or not? In this world, we must recognize kingdom counterfeits. Second, in this world, we must have a kingdom perspective. We must have a kingdom perspective. All right. Now, Jesus gives four short parables here, and I'm going to try to touch on them all at least, at least briefly. And the first of these is this parable of the mustard seed. Verse 31, it says, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It's the smallest of all the seeds, but when grown, it's taller than all. Then the garden plants, it becomes a tree so that the birds of the sky come and nest in its branches. Now what Jesus is doing here is he gives this parable as he's using Old Testament imagery to start talking about the kingdom, his kingdom. Okay, he uses this, this idea of a tree, right? Now, you all know what a mustard seed is, right? Just this itty-bitty seed. You get the point from the, from the text. Like, it's this tiny seed. And I thought about going and getting mustard seed and holding one of them up, but you won't be able to see it anyway. So here, look, I've got one. See, can you tell? No, I don't really. Okay. Um, so mustard seed, you get it. It's this little bitty seed. And it says, Jesus says it grows into this tree. Now, if you're actually studying the plants, it's not literally a tree, but it's as big as a tree. That's the point he's making, okay? It gets as big as a tree. And this tree, in Old Testament thought, is this idea of power, of a powerful kingdom. Actually, I was reading to my kids the other night. I was reading Daniel chapter 4, and we read this. In Daniel chapter 4, verses 10 through 12, it says, In the visions of my mind, as I was lying in bed, I saw this. There was a tree in the middle of the earth, and it was very tall. The tree grew, uh, grew large and strong. Its top reached the sky, and it was visible to the ends of the earth. Its leaves were beautiful. Its fruit was abundant, and on it was food for all. Wild animals found shelter under it, and the birds of the sky lived in its branches, and every creature was fed from it. Now, again... We see the birds of the sky nesting in the branches of this powerful tree, this kingdom that's here. Now, in this particular case, it's referring to the kingdom of Babylon here in Nebuchadnezzar's reign. But the tree, we see, is an image of power, of this powerful kingdom that's been risen up. Okay? Now, if that's the case, Jesus just used this Old Testament picture for his kingdom. He says it may start small, insignificant, it may seem, seem like it's nothing, but it grows into this tree. This powerful kingdom. And Jesus uses this mustard plant to show that his kingdom, the kingdom of heaven, had tremendous power. Even if it started off as something seemingly minuscule. Okay? It doesn't start that way, though, does it? It starts just insignificant. This mustard seed, but it grows. Bigger than all the other garden plants. And the point that Jesus is making is even though it has humble beginnings, it grew into something tremendous. And then in verse 33, we get this parable of, of the yeast, right? 
And again, the seeming, a seemingly small amount of yeast has a tremendous effect, just like the mustard seed. Something small turns into something great. Now, for those who don't think you have much to offer, you might be right. That's, that's a bit of an insult. Um, it's not really intended to be. But the truth is, though, even if you don't have much, God can make an awful lot out of an awful little. Like, you may not have much, but it's really not about you. Like, I think there's a slide that says it's not about you. You don't have to do that. I'm just messing with you. Um, it's really not about what you can do. See, God can take something that seems so insignificant, and he can turn it into something great. We talked about this in Sunday school this morning. Like, uh, can, like the 14 of us that were sitting around the table, can we really change the world? And I think the answer is yes. I think the answer is yes. Now, the way we go about that is important. But can something so small, seemingly insignificant, really make that kind of an impact? Yeah, look what Jesus did with 12 guys. Like, of course, of course something great can come from something insignificant. We see it right here through the mustard seed, through the yeast. And see, what I think that we need to do is we need to start changing our perspective and start having a kingdom perspective and seeing how something, some, even just a little bit, can do something extreme, something extraordinary. But it's not just that. We also see that we need to change our perspective on, on the worth of the kingdom. If you jump to verse 44, we get this parable, this parable of the field with the hidden treasure. And it says that a man, he, he finds a buried treasure in this field. Okay, And he knows, he now knows the value of this field because he knows the treasure that's in it. So everybody else, everybody else watches this guy as he goes and he purchases this field. And they think, what a fool. He's spending that kind of money on this field. Like, do you know what land prices are like right now and he's going to buy that field? Are you kidding me? Yeah, so he goes out and he buys this field. And everybody else might think he's a complete fool, but he knows the value of that field. So it says that he goes and he gives away everything he has. And not just giving away everything he has. He does it joyfully. Like he's laughing on the way to the bank to sell his house, to sell his car, to, to mortgage everything he has. He's willing to give up everything he's got for the sake of this field because he knows the value in that field. Everybody else might think he's a fool, but he knows the value of this field. So he gives away everything joyfully, laughing all the way to the bank. So we see that parable of the hidden treasure. And then we get the parable of the pearl, which is very, again, it's similar. Now the man in the field, he comes across the treasure by accident. But here we find a merchant who is searching for valuables. And he finds this pearl. It's, uh, my translation says it's priceless. It has immense value. Immense value. And he finds that one pearl that's greater than all the others. So he gives up all the other pearls, everything he has, to get this one pearl. This one pearl. Knowing that it's worth more than everything else. Now, two lessons that we need to learn here. First, entering the kingdom, really entering into the family with Jesus, it's worth everything we have. Because it's so much greater than everything else. Like, I don't care what you have to give up to be with Jesus. It's worth it. It is worth it. Everything. And the other thing we learn here is, uh, again, if we understand who Jesus is speaking to and who Matthew is writing to, right? We know that this is a first century Jewish audience. We've talked about that again and again. Okay, so if he's talking to primarily Jewish people, these are the ones who have been searching for pearls. They have been looking for truth. They have been looking for those valuables. And they hear this, while the Gentiles, they're these who stumble across it. They find this just kind of almost by accident. They run into this truth. 
And the truth is, it doesn't matter if you have searched your whole life for Jesus. It doesn't matter if you have spent your entire life in church. It doesn't matter if you've been a religious person, a good person looking for this truth, or you happen to stumble into it because somebody ran into you and shared the good news of Jesus with you. It really doesn't matter what your background looks like. When you find Jesus and you know that he's worth everything else, you give it all away to follow him. Y'all, do you get that? Like, he's worth everything. I don't care what your background looks like. He's worth all of it. Y'all, I was raised in the church. I was the one that was looking for pearls, and I found that one that was worth everything. I'll give them all up for that one pearl. I don't, but I know not everybody's like me. I know some people, they've lived a life, and they haven't been looking for those pearls. They didn't care about the pearls. They just happened to stumble upon this treasure. And they gave everything up for it. You know who got, you know who got the treasure? Both of them. The one who searched for it and the one who stumbled upon it. I don't care what your background looks like. I just want to know, do you have the treasure? Do you have the one? Do you know Jesus? See, the kingdom requires us to change our perspective so that Jesus is of supreme value. And at that point, you're willing to give up everything else for the sake of following him, coming after him. See, in this world, I think we have to have a kingdom perspective, recognizing both its value and that despite its humble beginnings, maybe even in your own life, it becomes something greater than anything else. In this world, we need to recognize kingdom counterfeits. We need to have a kingdom perspective. Third, in this world, we must pursue kingdom understanding. And again, here's, here's the center point of our chiistic structure. Here it is. In this world, we must pursue kingdom understanding. Okay, and I talked about this some last week, that, uh, and the point I made last week was to enter this familial relationship with Jesus. We, we must have understanding, right? We hear the good news of the gospel, and then we have to understand the gospel in order to receive the gospel. Y'all tracking with that? Okay, so Jesus here, again, he spoke in parables. Verse 34, it says, Jesus told the crowds all these things in parables, and he did not tell them anything without a parable. And really, this does two things. First, it fulfills scripture, right? He quotes from Psalm 87, or 87, 78, verse 2. Second thing this does is it reaffirms that Jesus conceals and he reveals to whoever he chooses and he keeps something secret from the crowds while speaking in, uh, if you look at the psalm, it says in enigmas or dark sayings is what the language is. So he says all these things in enigmas or dark sayings. Okay. So he keeps it secret from some and reveals it to others and also the disciples who they get an, uh, they get an explanation. Um, later on, this is going to make for a really good sermon illustration, y'all. Um, so... Verse 36, something great happens, though. Y'all, look, look at verse 36 with me. His disciples come to him, and they ask for an explanation. Huh. They were searching for pearls. They were looking for them. They ask for an explanation. It says, then he left the crowds and went into the house. His disciples approached him and said, explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. Now, this may not seem like a very big deal, but these disciples knew enough that whenever they had questions and they didn't understand things fully, where'd they go? They went to Jesus. They went to the one who did have understanding. Okay? So they sought an answer, and because they were seeking that answer, they got their answer. Like, they sought the answer. They went to Jesus, and they got their answer. So, yeah. We must pursue kingdom understanding. And there's actually this affirmation of their understanding. If you go to verse 51, it says at the, at the end of all this, they even say they understand. Jesus asked them, have you understood all these things? And they answered him, yes. Why did they understand? Because they went to Jesus when they had the question. They went to him. So the question is, what do we do whenever we have questions? What do we do? We need to go to the one that has answers. You want understanding? Go to Jesus. He understands it. 
Go to him. When we don't completely understand what God wants, what he expects, how to proceed, we go to Jesus. Okay? But, now, again, we may not always get the, answer, or the answers that we're looking for, just so you know, but we'll get answers to something more important. I always think that's funny. Whenever you look for an answer and he tells you something that's bigger than that, that really encompasses far more than what you were looking for answers for. And one thing I know is that whenever you go to Jesus for answers to the questions you have, you'll leave with a greater understanding than you had before. You will leave with a greater understanding. So if we'll ask, he'll answer. So ask the question, then listen for his answer. And how do you do that? Well, through prayer, through study of the word, or through trusted counselors. Like, there's ways that God can speak to us, and I think the greatest of those is through his word. So look to what he says. Go to Jesus. In this world, we must recognize kingdom counterfeits. In this world, we must have a kingdom perspective, and we must pursue kingdom understanding. Um, so we get past this chiastic structure where he's teaching on this understanding, but then we find that in this world, we must seek kingdom advance. We need to seek kingdom advance. Okay, again, much like last week, um, we talked about, okay, so here's what this looks like over here, but now what do we do as a result? Well, here it is. Um, this week, we're going to see that uh, the result of our understanding is seeking the advance of the kingdom. That needs to be our goal. Okay, so in verse 52, he says, therefore, in other words, since they understand these things that Jesus is teaching them about the kingdom, since they now have this understanding, he says, therefore, every teacher of the law who has become a disciple in the kingdom of heaven is like an owner of a house who brings out of his storeroom treasures new and old. Now, who are these teachers of the law? Okay, typically this word, teachers of the law, it would refer to scribes. Um, They would be the teachers of the law. But given the context, like the therefore, saying that since you now have this understanding, and because of that, I I believe that this parable here, what he's telling them is referring to the disciples themselves. They are now teachers of the law. They have understanding. They are now to be teachers of those very things. So now they are like an owner of the house who goes and brings out of their storeroom new and old treasures. These treasures, they are mysteries. They're understanding of the kingdom. They're to bring this new understanding out. Now, it's important that he says new and old. Okay? I think that's important. Um, one of the things that I'm convinced is that we, we need to teach the Old Testament as well as the New. Um, I'm thoroughly convinced that we need to teach the Old Testament as well as the New. Um, because Jesus said that he came, in, he came to fulfill the Old Testament or to fill up the Old Testament. Um, all of those, all, every Old Testament passage should point to Jesus in one way. No, let me say that differently. Every Old Testament passage does point to Jesus in one way or another. The question is, do we understand? Do we understand how that's pointing us to Jesus? So as teachers of the law, those who have been given understanding, we are to take the understanding that we have of the Old Testament and the things that Jesus is saying, and we share it with others, both the new revelation, uh, the good news of the kingdom that has come, and the older revelation and how it points to Jesus. We take that to people, and we share that understanding with those. But one thing I want to tell you is that will be met with opposition. It will be met with opposition. This kingdom advance, as we strive to see it advance, it will be met with opposition. Jesus goes on and he says that a prophet is not without honor, or or he is without honor in his hometown, right? Uh, You go to verse 53 to 58, and Jesus here, he goes back home where he grew up, presumably Nazareth, and he does the same thing he normally does. He does the same thing he normally does. He goes to the synagogue and he starts teaching. Okay, that's pretty typical for him. So he goes, and the people, it says that they were amazed at both his teaching and his power. They're shocked by this. But instead of trusting him, instead of believing in him, 
verse 57, says that they were offended by him. And because of their unbelief, Jesus didn't do many miracles there. See, what we need to understand, what we need to understand is that sometimes, maybe even oftentimes, uh, the good news is not received as joyfully as we would hope. It's not always, share, it's not always received as joyfully as we'd hope. Um, even whenever you're sharing it with the people that you're closest to. Like, sometimes those people that you know the best, in this particular case, Jesus and his family, people that watched him grow up, they were the people that had the hardest time accepting it. Sometimes that's hard. Now, does Jesus say, don't go tell your family? <laughs> no, that's not what he says. He does warn you, though, that it's going to be met with opposition. It's going to be met with opposition. But just like we saw last week with the parable of the sower, our job is not to determine where seeds take root or where they grow. Our job is to share the good news, is to bear fruit, to scatter seeds. That's our job, is to go and then trust that God knows what he's doing and let him do the rest. Uh, Y'all ever seen dandelions? Uh, fun story. I think I might have told Parker this because we were talking about dandelions. Um, you know, I was mowing my yard here early this spring, and I had dandelions everywhere. Uh, my neighbor's yard, it looked really good, nice green, dark green grass, and I felt terrible because I'm over here mowing my yard, blowing all these dandelion seeds all over his yard. And I'm just thinking, man, if he saw this, he'd be like, dude, come on. Like, wait till the wind dies down or switches direction. Blow them over there where Parker has to deal with them. Um, <laughs> see, I didn't choose where the seeds landed. I just scattered the seed. Now, I'm talking about weeds, which maybe isn't the best analogy, but I think the point holds. Like, our job is not to determine where the seeds land. Our, our job is to scatter seed. Scatter seed and trust that God knows what he's doing with it and it will determine where it lands and where it takes root. Our job as we seek kingdom advance is not to determine who opposes and who doesn't. Our job is to scatter seed, share the good news, and teach from the understanding that we've been given. That's our job. So in this world, we must recognize kingdom counterfeits, have a kingdom perspective, pursue kingdom understanding, seek kingdom advance. So what? Well, first I want to encourage you, seek to understand Jesus and his kingdom. Um, And how do you do that? Again, here's the the hard-hitting thrust from the preacher today. Now, you all aren't going to see this coming. Read your Bible. Like, there you go. Read your Bible. You want to understand Jesus and his kingdom? Read your Bible. If you want something better than that, well, surround yourself with people of understanding. One of the best things I've done in my life is I have had people who are people of understanding around me. Like, even whenever I didn't get it, I could trust their wisdom. I could trust their counsel. I could go to them and say, hey, look, here's what this says in God's word, and I don't completely get it. I don't understand what's going on. Can you help me? And they've helped me. Like, surround yourself with people of understanding. You know what that's called in Bible terms? It's called discipleship. Y'all. I know that's a crazy concept, but it's one that Jesus set up. So maybe we should listen to that. Like, surround yourself with people understanding. Go to his word, surround yourself. And we don't just want to be a social club that meet together in a nice building, sit in these cushy blue chairs for two hours a week. Instead, what we want to do is we want to be a community, a body, a group of people who gather together around God and his word, and we help one another grow. Why? Because there's an end of the age coming. We want to build one another up all the more as we see the day approaching. That sounds biblical. That's what we want to be. That's what we want to do. We want to be this team, this family, who pursues understanding both individually and corporately. And then we take that understanding and we see how valuable it is and how Jesus and his, how valuable Jesus and his kingdom are. 
And whenever we see that, we see that he's worth everything we have. And then we devote everything we have to encouraging our brothers and sisters, even encouraging them to devote everything they have, their families, their jobs, their education, their hobbies, all of this to serving King Jesus and his kingdom. That's what we do as a result of this passage. And yes, just know that there will be counterfeits. There will be. But as we grow closer to the real thing and in a deeper understanding of the real kingdom, the counterfeits become increasingly clear. Um, I, I could give you the... Uh, actually, you know what? I'll just do it. You know what people do whenever they start training... You know what they start doing whenever they start training people to identify counterfeit bills? They show them the real thing. They, they make them experts in the real thing so that the counterfeits become increasingly obvious. As we grow closer to Jesus, we'll identify the, the counterfeits become increasingly clear. But know this, there will be a day when Jesus will return and he will separate the good from the bad, the children of the kingdom from the children of the evil one. And on that day, I want to know who are you going to be counted with? The king of the kingdom or the counterfeits? And if you're going to be counted with the children of God, then I urge you to seek kingdom advance. Share the understanding that you have with those around you. And yes, there's going to be opposition, but Jesus is all, we've already decided Jesus is worth everything. I've already shown you that Jesus is supposed to be worth everything. And apart from him, really, we have no hope, and those with whom we're sharing have no hope. Share the kingdom. Seek its advance. And if you ever want to know what this looks like, either to become a child of the kingdom or to share with those around you, um, there are... There are people who want to be a resource to you, myself included. Um, so I'm going to ask you to do something weird. Um, okay, we're, we're going to sing here in just a minute. Um, and every week I tell you if you want to respond, you're welcome to do so. And the reason I do that is if you hear God's word and you know you need to do something as a response to that, I, I want to pray with you, I want to encourage you, I want to do whatever I can. So you're always welcome to come while we sing. Now, I know that there are people who are going to be like, yeah, Jared, I'm not going to do that. Yeah, I'm just not. I know. Okay, so here's what I want you to do then. I want you to open your bulletin, and you'll see that my phone number is in there. I want you to text me while we're praying. I know that's crazy. But if you want somebody to pray with you, pray for you, help you, encourage you, I want to be a resource for you. That's my job. So open your bulletin, find it, text me while we're praying. Because if you wait till you go get in your car and you drive home, and you're like, well, I'll do it while I'm watching the Chiefs game, you won't. You and I both, like, we all know that. You'll forget, life will come up, things will get in the way, and then you'll just forget about it. And then two weeks later, you'll be like, yeah, I really should have done that, but now it's too late. Don't wait. Like, let me know how I can be a resource for you, because if you don't know what it means to be a part of the kingdom, I'll just warn you, we don't know when this end of the age is coming, and I don't want you to wait till it's too late. Know Jesus today. Like, know him. Be counted with him. And regardless of whether you know what that looks like or not, what we need to desire, what we need to seek is kingdom advance. So let's see the kingdom advance together. Let's pray. <clears throat> Heavenly Father, God, I thank you for this time. And I thank you for these parables that you shared with your disciples 2,000 years ago. And I thank you that you're still sharing them with us today. Lord, I pray that you would continue to give us understanding, that you would help us to know you more, that you would help us to know your kingdom more. Um, Lord, and I pray that we could grow in our understanding of who you are. Um, Father, so I pray that you would, you would accomplish that, that you would drive this word home. Um, Father, all the more as we see the day coming. Lord, so today I want to pray both for us as a church family that you would help us, that you would encourage us, that you would send us out and let us seek your kingdom, kingdom's advance. But Lord, I also want to pray for those who are according to your word, children of the evil one, those who haven't come to know your saving grace. Um, Lord, and I pray that you would reveal yourself to them. 
she would call him and that they would, they would understand, maybe for the first time, that they are sinners in need of your grace. Lord, so I pray that you would change hearts and that you would change lives today. Um, Lord, just help us. Help us. Guide us and direct us. Give us this understanding that we so desperately need. Um, Lord, and I, I know that you'll make your word effective. And I pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen.